All right, all right. So, Brandon, Brandon, you ask a key question, which I'd forgotten the words, but it's highly relevant to what we were just talking about. Now, can you ask that question again for the benefits of the audience? Yes. Uh, well, Matt Ray is considering a new backpack, so I was asking him for those people in the know if it was Molly compatible. And Matt Ray, what, oh, what oh my answer? goodness, Molly compatible is is doesn't even start. It is down the rat hole of of Molly compatible. Um, I, I found myself like watching videos of people strapping bags to bags, and, <laughs> and 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 there's this you know there's websites upon websites of people you know reviewing your your everyday carry that's that's code name for for you know, a backpack. <laughs> now 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 let me let me let me interject myself in here as I'm fond of doing. Uh, yes, I, I would say maybe a year or two years ago when when several new team members came onto my team, the developer advocate team. Yep, at Pivotal, uh, they of course were discussing backpacks to get. Yep, right? yep. And so usually usually being a ten year uh, uh, you know frequent flyer. I just made Platinum Pro. I don't know what the hell that is. That's a strange category. Anyways, uh, you know, I've done all the things, so I just go back and forth to them. But, but just as I got out of development before Git and VMware, so therefore I don't understand what a pull request is or what's going on <laughs> with the kids, I, I don't get it. Like, what, what was wrong with checking in code? And you branching? know, that, that, that might have to be for our, our, uh, our premium podcast, <laughs> how to do a pull request. <laughs> That's good. I like that. That's a good. There's lots of good ideas in that statement, Matt Ray. Let's get into that. Now, similarly, I stopped looking at new bags when this whole um, I don't know taking the phrase "road warrior" too seriously culture yes. of bags came into play. So, what is what is what is a Molly strap? I'm gonna let Matt Ray give you the full answer. I just want to make sure everyone knows what Molly stands for. So, first of all, it's spelled M O L L E, and it's uh, modular, lightweight, load carrying equipment. And it actually comes from military. Whoa. So that's like Molly compatible. Yeah. So, so Matt, and again, for those like really in the know, not to be confused by the Alice backpack, which is separate, which is the old style. So Matt Ray, you can jump into <laughs> why do you need a Molly backpack? Oh my goodness. I, I think Brandon knows more about this than I do. So, um, I mean, I, I'd seen those kind of strap looking things on backpacks and never known what they were. And so it's this, uh, this way to do interleaving, um, straps so you can hook bags together so you get a very modular approach and it's yeah like brendan said it's it's a a, um, military standard and so you know you get the backpack that you want and and then you know you accessorize it with the various compartments and holders and accessories that you need for your everyday carry right and remember just (laughs) because i want to be fully correct here molly replaced the alice standard which is the uh, Alice stands for the all-purpose lightweight individual carrying equipment uh, standard, which is now dead. I'm not really dead. There's a whole there's a whole subgroup oh. within this group that likes Alice better than Molly. But like, but if you can really, <laughs> but I'll tell you this: you can really go down some rat holes when you get into the Molly. You've been down Alice, that rat hole. Like, I mean, it's kind of one of those things. Like you see benefits on both sides. So I, I don't want to like disparage any group there. Uh, I do know, like, if someone, mm. if I'm in a room, people like the Molly Alice. Uh, debate breaks out. Like I don't know the acronyms, but I can participate. I'd be like, "Well, I see points of us." <laughs> and you're like, "Screw you guys, Emacs forever." <laughs> I think in some ways the the Molly backpack or any of these standards in tech. The reason that you can't you, that I think it's made its way into the like tech road warrior and, and as Kote you say that people take it way too seriously. It's uh, probably in part due to Apple 
because of all the dongles, right? It's like every time you just can't ever get ahead. You're like, I got everything. I know where everything goes. And then, oh, USB-C. So now I got 50 more dongles. So it's like it's a kind of a Molly backpack that almost lets you have another case of dongles that you can just like – not Velcro technique, but you just snap it right on your backpack and you're like, good. That's fine. I don't care how many more dongles Apple brings out. I can just throw it in. Um, so that's sort of that's kind of the answer. It's sort yeah. of like it's, it is a war uh, of one of these ideas of just uh, attrition. How many things do you have to carry that you don't account for in the backpack that you have, and can you, uh, if you will, upgrade quickly? Right. So this is, gives you full. You know, I think there's a whole DevOps thing here happening. Right. It's like, hey, I can just keep continuously updating my backpack no matter what happens to my technology. Maybe. Oh my goodness! We 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 should start up. You need, we need to start up a new meme. Daily carry is nice, right? That was fun back. Yeah. I think that maybe started back when I did program. But we need to have like dongle carry or daily dongle or something. Because I do have, I have a lot of questions about how I pack all my dongles. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I'm doing it right. Do I feel you, like do you have like dongle fatigue? Is, <laughs> yeah. I feel I feel I feel like my my dongles are dingling or down a little much. Right? Here's oh, the issue. No. I'm sure we all suffer from this problem. Uh, is that you've got? I've got all my dongles, and inevitably everything ends up in the bottom of the bag, and there's all this wasted space at the top, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so I need to have like a series of of uh, kind of like I was watching The Hobbit on the way back from New Zealand because mm-hmm. we went to Hobbit. As one does. Hobbit. Yes, and and uh, you know you you look at the Goblin Kingdom underneath there. They've got multiple layers where they can put stuff, right? Now that's what I, I want to have like a Goblin Kingdom in my backpack mm. where I can put these these multiple layers of things, and then and then also you've got like the dongle bag, and it just bunches up into a big spiral. There you I, go. There's got to be a solution for this. Well, to 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 to, to, to put a bow on this whole train of conversation, I I did the research. I was like, you know, that looks like the backpack for me. I go to order it. They want $125 to ship it to Australia. <laughs> yeah. So now, now, now maybe maybe yeah. what you should do is ask ask your Australian uh, mates, yep. as they say, yeah, yeah. like what what they backpack they would have. Maybe they must have some standard uh, for my daughter is trying to get in on this action here. They must have some standard for uh, backpacking over mm. there in the Australian military. I saw a lot of ads for the Australian military. Um, it, it is kind of uh, you know funny, like I go going to the movies, and you know how they they show the uh, back in the back in the U.S. they show the the you know ads for oh you know you should join the army you know be all you can be and everything, and then here in Australia like they have ones for their military, and it's like oh yeah everyone must have to do you know recruiting for that kind of stuff. It's... I thought I thought those were nice. We were sitting there at the uh, the Manly Ferry, uh, enjoying uh, some some gelato, mm-hmm. maybe uh, maybe some coffee. And we we need to have. We probably should take a, a, a note from the Dubai Friday and have like a members only after hours podcast. We both have lots of time. <laughs> we all of us have lots of time to do that. But anyways, yeah, their ads. I guess maybe it was for the reserve, and I like the way they were pitching it. It was basically like they had a bunch of people. Uh, turning over, turned over Jeep in the mud. And it was like, hang out with your mates. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. And then there was uh, learn leadership. They were doing this Superman thing where they take their, their overshirts off and underneath is their uh, Australian camouflage. Or I'm sure they call it camis there or something. Uh, but, you know, and <laughs> like learn leadership camo? skills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was uh, speaking of ice cream. I, my, my, my kids wanted some what we would call mint chocolate chip ice cream mm. and it was labeled as chalk mint and i i stammered i just couldn't get that out i couldn't be like i want the chalk mint chalk, ch- i want the chocolate chip ice cream anyway, mint. uh the green stuff 
yeah, chocolate mint. So yeah, their their ads were nice. It was like learn practical everyday skills. There wasn't uh, you know you know whereas here when you uh, as as people know once you drive past the, the limits of the cities into the country, there's two kinds sadly of military ads. One of them is sort of like you know it'd be fun to be in the Marines and we're very selective. Or you know, you fly around helicopters. It's really cool. And then there's the one with the uh, the pills leading up to a bullet, which is pretty sad. But like, there's not really always like inspirational recruiting ads. Like, learn some practical skills, hang out with friends. It's more uh, militarized. But, <laughs> As militaries go, that's, that's Australian boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, well. Uh, there's really no transition to anything uh, from there. You know, I was listening to some other TED tech podcasts recently, and I keep having this reaction that, that wakes me up at night where I'm like, man, it's just like a bunch of people sitting around talking in a disorganized fashion. And uh... <laughs> That may be the first edit ever in this podcast. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if I like my own medicine, but... So this week, once again, uh, we're sponsored by Datadog, a, a nice little monitoring company, uh, product, service that you can use. It hooks up and monitors all sorts of things. I'll come back later and tell you more about it. But if you keep listening, I mean, I guess I'll tell you now. If you go to datadog.com slash software defined talk, you can get yourself a free T-shirt once you set up just one dashboard. Now, maybe what you do is set up a dashboard to monitor when you get your free T-shirt in the mail. Oh. That would be fun. Uh, but... Uh, I'll, we'll go over a little bit more of that when we get into the uh, the, the, the after we go over a few topics here. But it's nice that they're uh, they're sponsoring this episode. So here's the first thing I want to talk about: not news related. I actually talked about this on another podcast. But in reading over some of the news, you know, there's basically a lot of news of uh, a bunch of people embracing, let's say, cloud native and putting build pipeline and package management in there. You've got the Cloud Foundry Summit going on, and then when I was in um, uh, what do you call it, Auckland. Uh, for DevOps Days, Auckland or New Zealand, which is lovely by the way. There's like five or six listeners who just came up and said they liked the show. I was in it. Several people introduced themselves as being SREs. And I was like, whoa, that's fun. They're SREs. And it made me remember that like, I've been wondering, like, do people actually do DevOps, right? And and here's here's the train of thought is like, uh, you know, one, it's well documented at this point. And the idea of DevOps, as far as I understand it, is you, as the name would imply, is you have teams that have developers and operations people working together in tandem and a bunch of other stuff, depending on what you have to sell on the truck. But then this Google SRE book comes out and they're like, we got SREs who are programmers who can do operation stuff and they build out a platform for you and help you operate it. And... I, that's not really DevOps as an orthodox understood thing. So I've been trying to pay attention closely and like come across. Maybe I need to go rewatch all those ING and Capital One keynotes from the Doze Summit or whatever. But like, are there actual DevOps teams out there at companies? I, I, I definitely see people trying to hire them. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, to me, DevOps is is more like uh, the practice and you know of how you should do operations and engineering and you know you can call it a devops team but it's kind of like you know did you ever call your software team an agile team um you know you probably mm. didn't you're just like you know those are the guys who work on you know that tier of the service you know the application and you know we should embed an ops guy with them or so you know they they you know they operate more um aligned and and so that that methodology is to me that's what DevOps is and and the SRE model is is slightly different um, where 
you know, my my understanding of it is, is that you know at Google they have this SRE team where you if you are a product owner and you have a service you can add SRE to your team and they attach to like fix the bugs straighten out your DevOps stuff you know but it's it's like a, a premium internal service at Google and so um, I mean like not premium to to internal consu- consumers so not every product has an SRE attach you know maybe they're just doing the devops for themselves yeah i you know so, so i mean there are two separate concerns here one is like you know you look at the the last two or three years of the devops report and and you know after uh, as 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 nicole used to work for you would say after sciencing the shit out of it they have like uh you know as i'm fond of joking it's not a causal thing but they've got some fancy chart that show like here's the practices of devops that lead to mm-hmm. success right which are all pretty good. I mean, it's a good write down of that. But like, uh, you know, you, it seems like you could do all of those practices without having this unified team. So maybe to your point, the question isn't so much like all the benefits and practices of DevOps are bunk, but it's that this original idea of having this unified team that's sort of like the, uh, I don't know, stem to whatever thing of like, they'd have all the operation stuff in there. Like it, it's a little, it's a little weird at the moment in, in, in my purview, because you know, you do have the SREP. I'm repeating myself, but like, I haven't, I haven't come across a lot of people who are like, we have the thing where there's the one team that does everything, and instead they have more of they've got they've got the long snickered at anti pattern of like we have the DevOps team, which I suppose will be labeled the SRE team nowadays, but we have the team of people who build out the platform and operate it and help run it and do some consultative stuff as far as operations. And then on, on the, whatever you want to call it, as you say, the agile team on the agile team, they might actually be aware of uh, how networking works and things like that and write that into their system. And then maybe even they get pulled into production stuff, but I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how widely like the orthodox view of a unified DevOps team is actually practiced nor if that's a good idea or not. Well, I think it just comes back to like the age of your company, right? The the younger your company, the more likely it is that you've probably, you know, we're at a point where you could kind of put the whole thing in, right? I think for companies that have been around for a while, even if they aspirationally want to get there, it can be very difficult, right? To just upend the organization. Um, I think this is where your buddy Schaefer, right? Like often has like some, some pretty, pretty, uh, some thoughtful remarks around that. Uh, but I do think if you go back in time and just say, forget about the words, right? But this concept of like level two, level three support, right? Where you would take, and you know, generally a lot of the developers never, you know, necessarily didn't like it, but like take some developers, do a rotation and support where they would kind of sit with, you know, the customers, find the bugs, quick, be able to quickly fix things, do releases, right? And that was, you know, if you will, that was sort of, you know, an attempt to be like continuously at least updating the software for major things. And then there was always this other team that was kind of like doing like the new set of features that was sort of abstracted away from that. So I think there's a lot of organizations that are still doing that where it is still kind of separate teams. Like when you really look at it. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it'll sort of be like a ongoing question. Do people actually do DevOps 
I need to sort that out. It would be great because then, then ostensibly, like having writing a DevOps column at the register, I could have a column called "No one actually does this anymore." We're closing column this over. That's right. And in other news, y'all had a, a big release over there in Chefland, right? Or you know, you got you got your, this habitat thing going on. For more definition of it, like I was talking about, there's sort of like everyone's embracing this uh, idea of a build pipeline and being sticking in the the flow of doing continuous delivery and stuff. So what's, what's, the, uh, what's the details on, on what's going on over there? Yeah, so, so Monday, um, Chef launched the Habitat Builder service, which uh, yeah, we take uh, our, our Habitat uh, open source project and um, uh, offer it as a SaaS where if you hook up your GitHub and your Docker registry, um, the SaaS will just pull your code anytime there's a commit, <coughs> uh, build packages for you, and currently, we'll uh, publish it to your Docker registry if if you're you know if you're doing the Docker, or you can just use the packages that get promoted. Um, it's currently free, and you know there will probably be some sort of free tier uh, you know going forward. Um, but but really, the the value is you know, we're we're trying to help um, you know developers just have a, a standard way of of packaging and building their apps where you know they're managing the dependencies uh, automatically. They don't have to like worry about the operating system that it's running on and you know the the ops team likes it because uh they get these immutable build artifacts and you know they've got automated container builds and everything is you know gonna just you know pop out at the end and a uh, stable and unstable channel and you you push it out to your platform of choice you know whether it's uh you know your docker cloud foundry or mesos or you know just throw it on a linux or, or windows file system so that's that's what we're doing um, and, uh, yeah, we, we, we've had some big announcements. Uh, yeah, we, well, what was interesting is, you know, if, if you've been following the, uh, the recent exegesis podcast, uh, you guys have been doing, uh, I know you two have, but <laughs> if the listeners have, you know, the one where you were taking apart like the press release approach and, you know, the kind of going behind the scenes of, you know, how, you know, you brief your analysts, you brief your press, you roll in a few customers to talk about what you've seen, and, you know, I think, you know, not to toot our own horn, but I think, you know, our marketing team followed that script fairly well. Um, you see the, uh, you know, I perused about the, you know, dozen or so, you know, media articles that, that got posted about the Habitat Build service. And, you know, the, the talking points pop up again and again. You see the same quotes, you know, everybody's on message. And then you see the, the different reporters and analysts, you know, distill things and put their own twist on them. And, you know, it... Uh, it's nice to see it when it you know it operates as as expected. Yeah, you know, I, I there's a uh, there's a the new stack uh, overview of it, and and just to be all meta about it, like it's it's a good example of like how if you uh, if you if you nurture the the content relationship with a, a pool of journalists, it'll pay off when you need to. So there's like links to a podcast I've done with them, do a video. It's like very well uh, documented, and and I think most everyone had the major screenshot in there where you got the. Uh, you got the workflow of stuff going into the different uh, images, yeah. which which is nice. Now, now, now. So the idea is like now. Originally, back in the uh, in in the day that two, it was that two thousand seven uh, O'Reilly article, which would be great to get an update on that chart. Which is like the secret of cloud is it speeds up automation. <laughs> remember, remember that one that Jesse Robbins did? I, you know that 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 slide still shows up everywhere, despite the fact that it's probably like you know three twenty by two hundred. <laughs> but like, love that web TV. Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, but 
you know, the idea was almost that you you have your you have your uh, what did I, what did we used to call it model driven automation? You got your little agent on the server, and it's going to configure it for you. Mm-hmm. But now it seems like what you got here is you're building up an image that goes into a repository that then is deployed onto the server, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, general, you know, Habitat yeah. is uh, the I I threw in the link to the James Governor write up of, over from Red Monk, and 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 Habitat just ticks all the boxes for. 12-factor applications. So we're just trying to give a framework to make 12-factor apps, you know, standardize all, you know, ch- all those pieces so your applications all get popped out at the end and they can run on the platform of choice, you know, whether it's, you know, P- Kubernetes or Cloud Foundry or, you know, Docker Swarm, you know. Um, just because, you know, a lot of, you know, sh- the chef model of, of a, an agent running, um you know, configuration management that doesn't fit in the container model, right? You know, you don't you don't do that. You know, you don't have containers that have to configure themselves once they're deployed. The whole point of immutable infrastructure is, you know, you drop this Docker container wherever you want, and it runs the same everywhere. And so Habitat is, well, let's make our applications well-behaved, well-managed, standardized, and, you know, fit very neatly into that story. And so... You know, we, uh, Chef joined the Node.js Foundation. You know, there's a lot of developer outreach just to, like, get people on on board with the idea of, like, well, let's just make our applications well-behaved, and, you know, that'll solve a lot of problems for people people everywhere. Now, now there's also a, a bundle of announcements about uh, what Puppet is up to in this area. So, you know, you got you got all sorts of uh, all sorts of people, including, you know, I mean, over here in Pivotal Land, we do stuff. Over there in IBM, they do stuff. But it is, I think over the past few years, we've been talking about, like, uh, build pipelines. Mm-hmm. That seems pretty important. Or release pipelines, whatever. Like, building out what that is. And I and I guess there's this coalescing that's that's been happening uh, around uh, not only containers, but doing things in, in a Kubernetes sort of way. So there are... Uh, there are there are still many, but there are better well-known targets for packaging this stuff up and therefore uh, methodologies that, that – not methodologies. A process people are going on for their software lifecycle management. So it's nice. All, all this stuff is coalescing. Now, I don't know about you, but that still ends up with a lot of stuff to manage in production. you got to keep track of these things, whether it's in uh, this cloud, that one, your uh, your Kubernetes. Maybe you're still running whatever a DCOS is, mm-hmm. you know, the, the next center data – generation data center stuff. And and you know you probably need to monitor that, and it's kind of a hassle now. <laughs> as 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 I'm fond of reminding people, the three of us we used to work on monitoring. Yep. And I'll get up in front of people and I'll say, "Have you ever used Patrol? I'm sorry about some of the code that I wrote <laughs> that you're probably experiencing. I won't speak uh, for my. Uh, you know, actually, I was talking with someone, and they knew about knowledge modules. Oh yeah. And I and I regaled them with one of my favorite stories, which is like one day I was told that I needed. I was in charge of importing knowledge modules, and I said. Can you give me a spec? And by the time those words came out of my mouth, whoever had handed this task to me was no longer there. So I wrote a post. I, I, I just exciting. but I just remember being on the on the uh, well, maybe this is dirty, dirty laundry, but but being told like the team that brings all the different knowledge modules together, they don't make any money, so they didn't get funded. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Well, listen, listen. Monitoring has come a long way. They even have a new word for it. It's sort of observability. Oh, yeah. So there's all sorts of new monitoring services, and I think when the three of us look at them, we're pretty discerning about uh, if something seems legit or not. And our sponsor this episode, Datadog, as mentioned earlier, they monitor all sorts of service and apps and containers, 
all sorts of things that you might have out there in production, right? And it's one thing to monitor them and catalog them. You also want to be able to troubleshoot them and know what's up with them, which is nice because over at Datadog, they have engineers who have been doing this building it for them, right? Like they didn't just find some uh, some flunkies who used to do HTML coding for an online banking app and ask them to write parsing <laughs> uh, like myself. I spent a, I also made a wicked cool pagination framework. I don't know if oh, you remember yeah. that, but it was good yeah. stuff. So, so there, there's some uh, there's some pros over there at monitoring things, and it's really good whether whether or not DevOps exists. You know, it's still applicable. What, someone's got to be monitoring and managing all the servers and containers and stuff in production, and so therefore, you know, it's good, worth checking out uh, Datadog. And you can actually do that now if you go to datadog.com/software-defined-talk. And uh, it's pretty easy to sign up there. You make a dashboard, like I was saying, you could monitor the shipment of the free T-shirt that you're going to get. Now, they're sending us some T-shirts, if my co-host will send me their address. Not to Australia. <laughs> I should I should have gotten one ahead of time to bring to you when I was over. Uh, that. I, would, I, try, I, tried to, I tried to pay you, but you were such a gentleman. You were like, no, I do not want to bundle of cash. Just, just I have a way. little pile of American cash I can't use anywhere. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm gro- I'm growing a collection yes. of various cash. I'm gonna I'm gonna have like a John Roderick wallet thing with some money from everyone. So, anyways, you know, among mi- many of the 200 things that the technologies that they monitor, you got all the best. You got, of course, there's Chef. You're gonna have Chef, right? And then you're gonna have you got AWS and Redis, Kubernetes. There's even a uh, a, a Cloud Foundry integration, I as, as I recall. That you can look over. So you build up your dashboards. This probably, you know, single pane of gas of gas of glass is nice, but we all know that that's a nice starting pl- place. And you need many other panes of glass to look into things. And not to mention having like algorithmic alerts and end-to-end tracing. So anyhow, you should check out Datadog. I, I've been watching them over the years. You know, including back when I was a uh, uh, an analyst for systems management stuff back at four or five one, and they seem to know what they're up with. They're certainly excellent supporters of uh, DevOps days and stuff like that. So, again, go to datadog.com slash software-defined-talk. You can get yourself a free T-shirt and check that out. And you can try to imagine what it was like for me, someone who had a bachelor in philosophy, never had learned what a yak or a Lex is, <laughs> writing a parser for a very aeroplone sort of like weird lispy thing called knowledge modules. It was, it was a good time. Next time, I'll tell everyone about how I had to rewrite a SNMP monitoring application over Christmas break because it was GPL through two. That's 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 another good tale. To go <laughs> so also uh, going on this week, there's a lot of announcements this week. There's also yeah. the Cloud Foundry Summit uh, EU in Basel, Switzerland. Is that how you pronounce that? Basel? Basel? I don't know. I've never been to Switzerland. I think it's Basel. I always remember Basel because some regulations were written there. Oh. I can't remember the number. Oh, now. yeah. That's, that's the accounting regulations, right? Thank you. Thank yeah. you. That's what it is. Yes. I don't know if that's uh, GAP or European GAP or EU GAP or I don't know. I just got to say, uh, you know, note to uh, the – Ch- um, Chamber of Commerce in Basel, like don't don't be associated with regulations. It's just I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't give. It doesn't. I don't think of like I want to go on vacation. I bet you it's a beautiful city, great people, but I don't know. I always think of regulations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've always wanted to go to that that little that tourist hotspot, ISO. I've never been to that town. They must have a lot going on there. It's very popular. Oh, uh, uh, don't even I'm get guessing, me started. I'm guessing ISO is in like Luxembourg. 
<laughs> yeah. Anyways, so uh, there, there's actually a good press release out, speaking about uh, analysis of press releases, that kind of has a roundup of at least today is uh, October 11th, Wednesday. I don't know what time it is in Basel. I got very confused about what day it is on my recent trip to Australia and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. I now understand why it's so difficult to schedule talking about Matt Ray. Because <laughs> it, it's the 12th in Singapore. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. And yeah, it's very confusing. Uh, anyways, uh, so they have a good press release rounding up things. Now, I, I would directly direct you to the press release. Also, once again, James Governor uh, has, a, has a good overview of the salient points of the coverage. I mean, and I think in the show notes, uh, as always, we've pulled out some, uh, some highlights. But I think the most interesting part for our ongoing discussion is if you go look at the press release, the, um, the work that Pivotal and Google have done around uh, integrating Kubernetes into the Cloud Foundry world is, has been contributed to the open source Cloud Foundry. And the description of that is, is kind of fun in that mainly the fun thing that's interesting is they mention our, our old friend Istio in there mm. as sort of a, a possible thing to uh, start working with. So, you know, you can imagine being the um, – you might characterize it as curious or being a jerk – depending on how you take this stuff. I had a lot of discussion internally about uh, what's going on with all this. And it's fun. There's like, there's like this, uh, you know, we got, we got the Pivotal Container Services coming out at, at the end of the year. And there is an interest, uh, you know, in, in looking at things like Istio and the Cloud Foundry community and how it can be integrated in to have a, uh, what you might call sort of a multi-platform microservices framework, which will be fun to see evolving. And it certainly makes it feel, may feel good that I spent like two days trying to figure out what a Istio was back for episode 96. That wasn't, uh, that wasn't <laughs> sunk time. Did I ever tell you about all the time I had to spend studying how knowledge modules work? <laughs> uh, well, so I, I think I think the other the other good stat from there, you know, one interesting thing when you read through, uh, I don't know where I guess maybe James got this in uh, some briefings was uh, he was saying overall this is not just pivotal Cloud Foundry, but overall in the Cloud Foundry uh, uh, world that fifty four percent of Cloud Foundry instances ran on AWS and forty percent were running on VMV. VMware vSphere. Now, that's a little different if you narrow it down to pivotal. It's I don't know if it's the opposite of that, but most people seem to run on premise. But it does show a, uh, you know, the multi-cloud dream is real, that people are, are running this stuff on various places. But uh, I think, you know, I think that conference goes on for at least one more day. So maybe there'll be some more announcements. And there was stuff like Home Depot joining the uh, the foundation, which is fun. So uh, there's good stuff going on there in the Cloud Foundry Summit. I think their next conference is usually uh, at the end of summer. So I'm sure there'll be another bundle of interesting uh, stuff going on there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think we've got a couple of chef people uh, who were at it or going to be at it. The Cloud Foundry Summit um, talking about Habitat. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, yeah doing no that yeah. Got, got to be at all the places now. Yeah, y'all y'all were yeah in 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 all of y'all's coverage, y'all y'all were name checking Cloud Foundry quite a bit. It was is very encouraging. It's fun. Maybe maybe 2018. So so what is maybe 2018 will be the year where I can finally straight up hustle buying Cloud Foundry at DevOps days. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I'll get the same permission that uh, Chef Puppet, Red Hat, Google, uh, whatever whatever a uh, whatever Terraform is that basically every other vendor in the space gets. We'll see if if I can get away from that. I'll I'll, uh, I'll get myself like a Gallagherian uh, clear piece of plastic I can hold up in case tomatoes get thrown at me. Try that out. I think you're safe. But I just want to make sure I understand what is the use case for Habitat, Pivotal Cloud Foundry, 
and then deploying an application? Like, what am I doing? So do I, do I get the new Pivotal container service? Uh, we actually had a, a blog post about uh, how it works. Uh, we had the, the folks over at uh, Stark and Wayne who are some of the you know, Pivotal go-to guys for, for doing um, you know, Cloud Foundry work. And uh, essentially, like, there's, there's kind of a gap in how do you build your um, applications? You know, I, you know, there is a format for, for packaging applications for Cloud Foundry, you know, and, and then you know, the stuff just runs on Cloud Foundry because it's, it's ready to go. But there's right. what Habitat does is it gives you a standardized build environment where we're going to build a full stack version of your application without an operating system. Um, and package all of your runtime dependencies with it. And then you get a, a manifest that says, you know, here is absolutely everything that went into building this application, you know, which Git SHAs and all the versions, and tells the application, and, and then it says, and this is how the application is managed, which, you know, ports, monitoring, logging, that kind of junk. And then there's a, a supervisor that runs that application inside a container for you. Um, and so that is just the, the front end to building packages for Cloud Foundry. Um, and, and I know, you know, there is tooling in that space. Um, you know, sometimes people say, well, like, you know, what's the competition for Habitat? And I'm like, well, it's people, you know, using the Docker file to do dot slash configure, make, make, install. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and which gives you no transparency into what you actually have. You know, you have no idea what you're running or building unless you're, you know, very pedantic about tagging your containers, but nobody is. And so it's like, you know what, if you actually needed to rebuild that application from scratch, um, we can do that. You know, not a lot of CICD systems can say like, I want February's build. You know, that's just lost in the ether, you know, but we can, we can help people do that. So, you know, there, there's other tools that are similar, but essentially it's like, we went full on, you know, pedant about how to build applications from scratch. Um, just so you know exactly what you have. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's and and then on the cloud foundry and just to reiterate, right? Like once once you get once you get your project in the right sort of like combination of like a build file and your configuration settings and a bunch of YAML stuff and typing in the right command lines, like it's pretty easy to just as they say CF push, but you got to like wrangle all your stuff into the right format. And so I would imagine that something like Habitat helps out with that. And then equally important for for uh, for for the company that is clearly uh, making a lot of money off of uh, compliance people uh, or getting uh, i assume there's a lot of money involved uh, but you know like like Matt was saying being able to uh, would you say would the nerds say deterministically is that kind of like the item pot of our air you want to uh, you want to deterministically be able to make a build from any time yeah. to make sure that you have uh, you have the same thing yeah. so you got your your immutable compliance or something yeah and, and the artifact that we produce you can put it in Cloud Foundry. You can put it on Kubernetes. You can put it on Docker. You know, it's it's not tied to a platform. So, if you know, heaven forbid, you 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 want to switch from you know Pivotal Cloud Foundry to you know Google Kubernetes <laughs> service, you know, that's an option, and you don't have to rebuild anything. Mm -hmm. Abstraction layers all the way down. <laughs> It, it reminds me of like of like when I every time I don't do this anymore because I don't know what a pull request is. But like I, a special I, episode I, coming up, man. <laughs> I 
I, I used to try to learn uh, to, to do Ruby, and I would get stuck in these rat holes where I kept opening up Ruby files over and over again that mysteriously were calling some other Ruby <laughs> file or doing something. And I could never actually find the code that would do anything. Yeah. And, and then I would just give up and go to bed. And- uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I love I, – I, Ruby is just one of my favorite languages, but – Man, the dependencies are hard to to grok, you know, just to figure yeah. out where everything's coming from. But it's a fun, beautiful programming language. But uh, you know, I, I think I, I linked in uh, uh, I, I linked in um, the, the ACM. There was a uh, an article about um, programming languages and code quality, uh, where they did a, a large scale overview of, of various GitHub projects. And the languages that they used, and dug into the bug reports, and it's a substantial article. I mean, it, you know, it dives down into the methodology and reporting, and they analyzed like eighteen thousand projects. And you know, just <laughs> if you don't want to go read it, um, you know, the conclusion is essentially like, you know, if you don't want bugs, just go back to like statically compiled languages that don't have implicit type conversion, and you know, they that have memory management, and like, oh, so that's you know, let's go, um, and, and Rust, mm. and, you know, it's it's not Ruby and Python, um, but, you know, those languages are, are more fun, yeah, but, yeah, they, anyway. they sure are. <laughs> you, should, you should retitle that article about, Ray, don't, don't take away my fun. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 I say that, but, you know, I'm, I I don't even want to put how many languages I programmed in over the years because you know I'm I'm old, um, but like I'm 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 learning some Go now and it's 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 fine it's nice you know I, I like the the you know the the handcuffs that it puts you in so you know you don't go off the rails you can't do crazy stuff, it's nice to read other people's code you know there is a lot of benefits to that, um, you know it's just I you know I I enjoy Ruby but uh, you know I've enjoyed other languages so whatever. Sure. Well, just before we get off this topic, I just want to say to whoever, um, the, having recently deployed a, a, some Cloud Foundry apps and some stuff on containers for my uh, for my work life, uh, I just want to say whoever uh, had a perfectly uh, well-running Cloud Foundry application and then was like, you know what, I'm going to tear this thing down, I'm going to get it re, uh, rebuilt up and deployed on containers and went from production <laughs> to production and did it all. And, you know, there was some, like, actual, like, revenue or just an important application. It was not just a test application, like a real application. I, I want to say to that person, you, my friend, are a hero. You did it. And, uh, and yeah, you're better than I am. You're better than me. And because I, I just like, I've, I've, I try to do this with just test applications. And um, I'm just going to say it wasn't pretty. I'm not going to say there was crying involved, but it just, it just, it didn't go well. And I, I, I don't recommend it. I think, you know, when you committed, when I'm committed to one or the other, I, I'm, I'm not changing. I'm going to be the yeah. guy that's like, no, no, it works. I'm, I'm not switching. I'm, yeah. I'm never going to yeah. switch. So, yeah. so if you did that, you know, it's, I, I think it's, uh, like Abraham Lincoln said, you got to break a lot of eggs to learn to ride a bike. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what <it> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some, some, you know, developer navel gazing in the idea that you, you're going to want to, you know, Oh yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna run this on you know completely disparate platforms that don't have their own operational concerns. Like oh yeah, you know GK Pivotal Cloud Foundry, same difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but it can be done. Um, and 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 you know and well you know as, as, well as, I was, as I was like, Matt Ray, just so you know, uh, I just want to tell you, Matt Ray, like if I were ever do this, which I will never do it, I, I would use Habitat. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> that's that's my endorsement. 
Yeah. As I, as I always tell people on this multi-cloud line, right, it's like, of course, when you use the particular uh, things on each of the, you know, the infrastructure that's particular, you can't really just migrate that. And yeah, there's always some little issues, some problems. What are you going to do? But ho- hopefully it's better than, uh, than, than the past. We'll find out. People, yeah. you, you know, uh, they, they have some, some uh, startling uh, figures in that James Governor post. Go read that. That that's looks encouraging. Unfortunately, he missed his flight to go to it. So they must have not been running on Cloud Foundry or using Habitat, that airline. They need to sort that out. So <laughs> now, before we cover the last thing, which perhaps is the most astonishing figure that we have this week, also from Containerland. Now, we've been talking a lot about this uh, analyzing press releases and white pairs. Brandon, if people are interested in that, what could they do? How could they hear us talking even more nerdily about not even the technology, but the process of writing about technology? Stuff? Well, they would uh, subscribe to uh, our paid podcast where I think you have to give a minimum of, uh, was it $1 a month, right, Kote? If you're cheap, but we have uh, several members who've uh, ponied up a lot more than that. You know, you know, five, ten times that. You know, you guys do the math, uh, and they can, <laughs> they can listen to the <laughs> software-defined talk exegesis edition. Which I, we should point out that um, I'll be honest, like, I didn't even know what exegesis meant when we started this podcast, so I had to look it up. But then Matt Ray uh, had a friend or a coworker point out that I think we actually spelled it wrong, and uh, it was even funny, which made it even funnier because I I didn't realize that as well. So, but now it's spelled right, and you can subscribe and hear you know mostly weekly, most of the time, hear us discuss how the sausage is made in the world of uh, technology. I think content publications, what makes good t- content, what makes bad content, and more importantly, what we would have done with your content if uh, we had written it. So it's, you know, I think it's insightful. <laughs> you know, I tried to explain the podcast to my wife the other day, totally didn't understand what we did. So, um, so I will say it, it, it's a niche, it's niche. You need to, uh, you need to really want it to, uh, but I think there's some great information in there. Yeah. And, and unless, unless you're like us and really like the IT industry, it's sort of like the director's commentary for the most boring. <laughs> you yeah, man. So I, the ones that I'm not on and I listen to them, I love them. <laughs> yes, indeed. But, uh, man. That's right. This, this documentary on the complete history of pencils and the future thereof, the director's commentary choice yeah i'm, I'm gonna go back how, to, did, how did they make this happen i'm gonna go spend another two hours researching backpacks like now <laughs> <laughs> exactly someone that persona matt ray perfect for the uh, software defined talk white paper exegesis podcast members only somewhere mm-hmm. anyhow so the most astonishing number of this week not to be all like uh, good use of poll bad use of poll there's actually uh, well, I shouldn't say actually. That's kind of a demeaning way of putting it. But there's a very good interview uh, with the uh, you know that new CEO of Docker. Mm-hmm. And why is it very good? I mean, it kinda, it, it's very good because it's one has good content in it that's yeah. that's uh, nice and helpful. And two, it's extremely representative of someone who is very well media trained and uh, can, can <laughs> I don't know do do the do what you would want a CEO of a startup to do on stage. And also, if, if you haven't started reading uh, the channel reseller news and from the pencil documentary world, metaphorically speaking, it's an excellent news source. Now, they're pretty sleazy in that they try to maximize their page views. <laughs> to read the it's a good interview. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if you, you know, uh, if I was about to say, it, it was such a good interview, it took them 28 pages to tell you <laughs> all of it. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, I'm sure if they if they could have put one word on each page, like that old Dylan video, they would but have done that. I really do want to give the interview, the journalist, the, the guy running the interview credit because he clearly was told he's got to ask these questions about channel. But like he had done his homework because he asked a lot of good questions and he followed up several times when I think when the answer wasn't um, obviously you have to read it, but it's, you can tell he comes back to the, the a couple of topics, but like in the middle of just be this and tell me about channels. And you just know, like, he was like, okay, you, you got it. Like some of his bosses, like you got to ask these. And he's like, okay, but in between these other questions, I'm gonna ask some real questions. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know, maybe one day that guy will be at the New York times reporting on, you know, political scandals or whatever, but we can say we, we discovered him first at the channel news area. Yeah. And, and just for those who don't know, channel basically means like all of your, I'm going to use another phrase that's going to need definition. All of your indirect sales tubes, yep. channels that, that you move your product through, whether that's partners that you work with, you know, system integrators, resellers, whatever it is, like direct sales is people who you pay who are on your staff that are selling your stuff. Yep. And then channel is every other way that you sell, basically. Yeah. And so CRN, if you go read CRN stories, they're they're – to, in, in this respect, they're awesome in that they somehow always find some channel person, a partner, to comment on the news, which their quotes are the most delightful of all ask this person on the street quote about tech news because they are they can be really good or just really like, you know, boneheaded. <laughs> so they're always a delight to see to see what those, those quotes are. So anyways, um, you know, we, we there's there'll be a link to that article there, and it is the kind of thing that we would talk about on the Exegesis podcast. But when one of the themes that came up over and over again is basically that if you use Docker, you're going to slash your costs by fifty percent. And then and then there's another speaking of CRN, there's another lengthy interview that they have that I think goes into thirty pages with uh, Meg Whitman at HP, also an excellent interview if you're into this kind of if you're into pencils so to speak. Uh, and, and she says it's more like 40%, which fine, let's say 40, 50%, you know, doesn't matter. But that is like, it's an interesting, uh, that's a pretty dramatic number there, mm-hmm. right? That you're going to just be reducing costs. And I think, I don't know, not, not to be too, uh, you know, what are the two old guys on the Muppets, Startsky and Hutch or whatever, whatever they're Feldermore and Wayne, I forget their names. Uh, but, you know, I think this is pretty, pretty good predictable and that it's good that at this stage in Docker's life, it's good to start talking about saving yeah. money, right? Like, I mean, you know, you, sh- you should be able to slash things. And, um, we, you know, one of our listeners was talking the Slack channel that they'd gone to a, um, a Docker roadshow, if you will, which, mm-hmm. or whatever they call it. And that they were saying that this, this cost savings or, or not, maybe not this, but that cost savings was achieved by fully utilizing your hardware. And I would assume also by, uh, you know, getting rid of VMware licenses. So, that's that's probably a figure that we'll see. Well, this would be a good test to see if it sticks. That thing, this starts getting bandied around as uh, savings that you have. Because basically, I mean, I don't know what y'all think, but you could kind of just walk into a uh, sales meeting with this one slide that said, "I'll reduce your cost by fifty percent." Yeah, yeah. Go, go hit the the butter stick cookies after. I that. mean, when, when I when I say that number, I think like you know, there's probably you know. There was a customer, you know, I'm sure if you dig into it in those 28 pages, they mentioned, you know, the customer who they, they referenced who did that. And this is going to be the number that they drive till the end of time. <laughs> They're going to just like every conversation just yeah. is like, well, you know, you could be saving 50 percent. And you're like, well, uh, you know, we're you know, we're already doing these efficient things. We've got right sized AMIs. I'm like, no, 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 no. 
Well, I think in that article, the, the other phrase I, – I had not heard this. I had not heard MTA, so I don't know, which is yeah. monitor, monitor, modernizing – I can't say it uh, – traditional – Modernizing? Thank you. <laughs> traditional applications. And that was clearly – that came up multiple times, um, this year. And I think they've – I mean, the math that has been done is that, hey, we can go in, convert these applications from VMware to – um, Docker, and that's gonna. I think that's where they're gonna drive. They're gonna point to that as their fifty percent savings, right? Which is, and then throughout the article, uh, the I think again the journalist did a good job. Asked a couple times about VMware, and it was like it was the answers were just were really fun to read. It was like absolutely, really respect them. It's not a zero sum game. We're all gonna win, and then it was like we're gonna win fifty, and then we're gonna make you fifty percent cheaper and more efficient by displacing VMware. So, and at one point he even said like, you know, do you have, you know, what's the next question? So I thought that was a good, like a good probing uh, interview around just like the tenuous relationship there between maybe Docker containers and VMware. So it's gonna be fun to watch that play out. Well, yeah, and, and tying it to the the Meg Whitman interview um you know like i think hpe might move more vmware than vmware i I mean you know through or than than dell um and and so uh you know they're kind of like you know they're both buddying up you know with 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 docker um but you know they're buddying up with docker but but still it's like are you are are you you know underselling you know the thing that you sell? Are are you cutting into your sales so you're still relevant? And you know obviously the answer is yes, but you know maybe that's why Meg is like, oh, not not fifty, maybe forty or thirty or twenty. Still buy some VMware too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know she she hit up on several of the same themes, and 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 if if you've read uh, HP talking points over the years, somehow OpenView always comes up. <laughs> yeah, and printers yeah. as an example of things. <laughs> And, uh, no, 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 that's I, a different no, company. No, I can't make that joke anymore. You'll be back or now. That's all different areas. <laughs> Too bad. You're, you're going to have to work on your DXC jokes. Oh, we'll, uh, oh, oh that's oh, a different man. company. Yeah. <sighs> Do a Wardley map on that. But anyways, yeah. uh, so there was another figure that will be interesting to track. I don't know if we really have time to uh, exegesize it that much. But since it was a, uh, a partner conference, he was also saying that every dollar of Docker spend – results in partners making seven dollars which i need i need someone to make some sort of monte carlo spreadsheet for me but i think that this has a troubling result about this slash slash 50 percent from your your uh, your costs because now now tell me where i'm doing my math weird or what i'm doing here because once again i have a philosophy degree so i can tell you what a number <laughs> is but i can't do anything with them uh but you know it seems like if if you're paying two dollars for vmware and then you're going to cut that in half then you're going to pay a dollar for docker spend but then yep. you're also going to need to spend $7 to get to that point. And so if you amortize that out over however many years, like I don't know where the cutoff point you're is, but you don't get that savings instantly. <laughs> and I don't, know, I don't know if this is some sort of, speaking of Basel, some sort of OPEX, CAPEX discussion or something like that. But there is something, the transition, whether you're on the MTA or the L or whatever system of journey that you're going on there, there is something a little weird about the cost structure. And, you know, I, I got particularly excited about this because back when I was doing M&A, um, my MBA friends would be obsessed with this attach rate for you spend a dollar here and that results in how much dollars spent over there. And so it's an interesting idea that there is $7 of services around a dollar of licensed Docker, Docker spend. So uh, if anyone got that Monte Carlo uh, module for Excel, I don't even know if I'm saying the right words, but it'd be good to uh, know when these curves intersect 
and uh, I don't know, is it like your four or five that you end up saving money or not? I, or am I just making something up? Beats me. So, uh, also, there's there's a lot of other news. I mean, did, did I get close to? There's some math thing going on there. Am I, am I right about that? Yep. <laughs> the crickets have spoken. Not interested in math. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So there, there's also some items that we didn't get a chance to cover. There was uh, Java one and Oracle Open World went on. Lots of Kubernetes stuff going on there. Microsoft had some things as well. Gardner has a new uh, public cloud round of numbers. Again, it's all public cloud, but it's fun to look at the astonishing numbers. And uh, Timothy Prickett Morgan did, has done a good job rounding up uh, from 2015 to 2021 what the numbers for various categories are, which is a hard thing to find. And then, and then you've got yeah. Mongo going public. That'll be fun to watch. But this brings us to the part of the episode where, one, uh, we say, you know, you should sign up for the Patreon you should go check out the show notes since we're running out of time. Yep. Matt Ray and I will be traveling to a bunch of conferences. There's a discount if you want to go to DevOps Days Nashville next week. Uh, you can check out where I'll be. And uh, it looks like Matt Ray's finally uh, – he's only got three things that he's going to over the next couple of weeks. So pretty light load for Matt Ray. Yeah. India, Singapore. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll have yeah. a travel rant before too long. Don't worry. He's going he's gonna to have a lot of time to figure out his daily Molly system. How, how he wants to uh, arrange that. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and also, uh, thanks to all the listeners who have been telling us that they listen. Include Someone sent you guys a LinkedIn message? That's very nice. That's right. I got a nice, nice uh, uh, note from uh, Daniel Barker. So we'll give him a little shout-out. DevOps guy on DSD Systems. So thank you. Thank you for uh, liking the show. Well, Matt Ray, this week, what do you recommend? Well, um, uh, you know, as we, as we talked about... Uh, I did a lot of research on a backpack. <laughs> I think I saw one I liked. Um, I put that in the show notes. Uh, you know, I uh, on and, and to to call back to a previous recommendation. Um, you know, I, I've seen how I fly like all all the time. It seems um, I'm always up to date on what the new movies are on the Qantas uh, viewer and. Uh, Baby Driver is back, and I rewatched it, and still, I really enjoy that movie. So that that's my pick: mm. Baby Driver and the the Go Ruck Echo. <laughs> nice. That is good. Now, as as you're recommending that, I was looking at the backpack. Now, the only picture they have on their page of a view inside has three bottles of wine that they're carrying along. So I think <laughs> I think there's a good intersection of people who like Molly's and wine drinking. Apparently. Yep. So, yep. I like that. And and carrying around metal really plates to go hiking. <sighs> well, I, I, now I understand that the metal plates are basically so that your wine bottles are protected. Looks like, uh, <laughs> sure, because <laughs> because steel plates and wine bottles—that's a winning combination. They go well together. Uh, exactly. How about yourself, Brandon? What, what do you have to recommend? I was going to recommend uh, an episode of the More Perfect podcast. It's uh, done by the Radio Up guys, and this one was just an interesting topic. I think it, it's. Uh, political in nature. I mean, it gets, talks about um, gerrymandering in the United States, so how the United States is going to uh, determine if uh, congressional districts are fair. And they introduced this concept of uh, efficiency gaps. So it was interesting to hear how, you know, we talk a lot about monitoring and data and like how do you summarize all this stuff. So it's, I was really interested to hear how these uh, social scientists have come up with this formula for efficiency gap and how to tell if a district is you know, if you will, relatively fair um, in, in the terms of voting. So mm. if you're interested in that, kind of the intersection of math, social science, and the legal system, and, of course, the guys at Radiolab, 
They make great podcasts where they don't have three guys rambling. They have great sound effects and a uh, great narrative. So if you want something slightly different than this, you can check that out. All I'm hearing is we need and, sound uh, Yeah, we're going to work on that. Now, li- now listen, listen, as, as, uh, t- as, as one of our former presidents used to like to say, to be clear, I wasn't saying our podcast is bad. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Of course you are. I was just saying. I've been, I'm always trying to find some new tech podcasts because I'll listen to, you know, real world podcasts and I feel guilty. Like I should be keeping up on tech. Well, but then I listen to them and it's just, it's just like three people talking in a highly disorganized fashion about whatever comes into their mind. And they're always talking over each other and it's just ridiculous. Yeah. So I'll, I don't know how that format. I was, was going to say, let me end on, uh, so definitely check that out. It's fun. It's a fun listen. But then I have been listening to the Verge cast, which is a very techno, uh, very popular technology podcast out of the the corporate of uh, world of Vox as well. And that is three guys who basically talk over the, each other about mostly mm-hmm. consumer tech. So I feel like we're right in the wheelhouse of where we need to be because, um, you know, that's uh, that's how the successful people do it. So we're following in the paths uh, of their footsteps. That's good. That's good. Don't pave the cow paths, but don't carve your own cow path. That's <laughs> That's what I always say. Well, my recommendation this week, I have, I have uh, an anti-recommendation and a pro-recommendation. First of all, uh, I was re-looking at the Workflow app on iOS, which Apple bought. And for some reason, I don't know if this is true. It's not like I went and verified this. I had thought that when Apple bought them, they were going to shut it down, so I stopped using it. Uh, but, you know, it's a fun little app. It's basically like... Um, I don't know, a visual programming app that can be really annoying and tedious, but is nice. Like I have a way that now that if I am uh, find a link that I like, I can I can click on a little workflow app and it'll prepare it and post it with a little excerpt to my WordPress blog and then bookmark it for me and then give me the option of tweeting it, which, you know, that's, that's the life I choose right there. That's the thing that I worry about, Dave, <laughs> that whole workflow. So it's a good app. I think it costs like five or six dollars or something like that. But it's uh, it's a good app to look into if you if you uh, you know if you like Molly systems, you'll probably get way into this app. Now my 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 anti recommendation pro tip. So when you enter Australia and New Zealand, they have these big signs and they're like, "Don't bring your fucking fruit here, mate." Except they're nice about it, and they've got these big gigantic bins you can dump your fruit into and your apples, and they're very nice about it, no problem. So you know, when we were coming back to uh, the U.S., we had some fruit and we brought on the plane to eat. I like a good apple here and there, and I was thinking like, oh, I'll just dump these in the trash cans they have as we're waiting for our luggage and waiting for this. There is no trash cans. I should say there are no trash what? cans in LAX when you're doing this. There's a story about the bathroom trash can I'll tell you in a little bit. But there are no trash cans. And so you have to declare that you have fruit or whatever. And then you got to go to this other line. First, you got to wait in this one line, then another line. Then you got to wait in this other line. And basically, you go up there after going to the wrong line of two lines. They have a sign that says A and B. They don't say what they are. Go to A line, even though it's long. And then you say, hey, uh, I just got this fruit that uh, I needed to throw away. And they're like... Okay, and they take the fruit and fruit and throw it away, and then scan your stuff, and you're good to go. And, it's, and as I was telling her, like, oh, you know, there were no trash cans. I guess I should have gone to the bathroom and just thrown these away. And she's like, no, no, you don't want to do that. Then you have to go to quarantine. And just like, whoa. So apparently, I mean, if you're worried about our borders being protected from the terrorism of foreign fruit, no need to worry. That is, DHS is doing a stellar job protecting us from uh, fruit from abroad. There, there is no ISIS of fruit to worry about. We stopped that shit at the border handled so uh make sure to dump your fruit on the plane 
That's that's the story here. Just leave it underneath the seat and let them deal with it. So with that, this has been another uh, delightful episode of Software Defined Talk. You can find this episode, it being episode number 108, by going to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 108. And thanks again to Datadog uh, for sponsoring us. Once again, you can go to datadog.com slash softwaredefinedtalk. You sign up, create a dashboard, and they'll send you a free T-shirt. It's probably one of those very comfortable try something or another shirts. I'll see, I'll see when I get mine. Uh, you know, it, it, it's good. Monitor stuff, over 200 different things, including the one thing we talk about all the time, Kubernetes, all sorts of stuff like that, containers. Check it out. And if you want to uh, hear all of the, uh, the director's commentary on the pencil industry, as we were saying, you go to patreon.com slash SDT. And you can sign up for a uh, dollar a month or five dollars if you're a responsible person who uh, likes people, and uh, basically get that in your ear holes more or less weekly. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye bye.